Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. Most of the events we're talking about today occurred in the year 1909. But what else happened that year? Well, on the 11th of April, coming into effect was the Children's Act of 1908, which was established to have a separate juvenile court for 10 to 16 year olds, abolishing the use of custody for under 14s and hanging for under 16s, introducing the registration of foster parents and restricting access for under-16s to cigarettes and alcohol. On June the 9th, Alice Hula-Ramsey, a 22-year-old housewife from Hackensack, New Jersey, became the first woman to drive across the United States in a Maxwell 30. She drove 3,800 miles from Manhattan to San Francisco in 59 days. On the 26th of June, Edward VII and Queen Alexandra opened the Victoria and Albert Museum, one of my favourite places, which was designed by Aston Webb. On the 17th of September, militant suffragette Mabel Kappa is among the first to suffer forced feeding while on hunger strike at Winston Green Prison in Birmingham. On the 4th of December, the University of Bristol is founded and receives its royal charter. And on December the 7th, Inventor Leo Bakeland patents the first thermosetting plastic, Bakelite, sparking the birth of the plastics industry. But like I said, most of our tale today covers the whole of 1909, and one of the most famous suffragette protests in Bristol occurred on the 15th of November, when Winston Churchill was then the Home Secretary. He was the one who agreed on the decision to force-feed suffragettes when they were doing a hunger strike, as he didn't want them to become martyrs to the cause. Anyway, it was a Saturday afternoon on the 15th of November, and Churchill and his wife were at Bristol's Templemead train station. They had been invited by Bristol North MP and Cabinet Minister Augustine Birrell to speak at a meeting for the Anchor Society at Colston Hall, now called Bristol Beacon. This too was disrupted by Bristol suffragettes. As Churchill got nearer the carriage, a cordon of practically the whole police force formed a protective cordon around him, yet one suffragette managed to get through. Miss Theresa Garnet of Leeds broke through screaming and struck Churchill over the head with a whip. His hat took the main force of the blow, but a whiplash caught him full in the face. 
He grabbed the woman's wrist and struggled for a minute while Teresa was screaming, Take that in the name of the insulted women of England! as she was trying once again to use the whip. Churchill managed to wrestle the whip from her and put it in his pocket and then the police arrested her, taking her to the nearby police station. It didn't end there for him because during the meeting, a suffragette threw a stone through a window of the Colston Hall. She too was caught and arrested. Word of the Week This week it's a very, very rare word and I give you... Satisdiction, which is to say all that is required and like I said, there are only a few recorded references of this word. I'll say no more. Therese Garnet the suffragette who struck Winston Churchill about the head with a whip, was arrested for assault but found guilty of disturbing the peace. A contemporary report of the time stated that she had not actually hit Churchill. Her sentence was a month's imprisonment in Horfield Prison. And when arrested, Teresa gave her name as Votes for Women. When she arrived at Horfield Prison, She set fire to her prison cell and went on a hunger strike in protest. Eventually, she was force-fed and ended up in solitary confinement in what was known as a punishment cell. But after she was found unconscious, she spent the rest of her sentence in hospital. In the prison, she was nicknamed St. Teresa. On July 12, 1910, Churchill spoke and voted against the bill to give women the vote. Before the whipping incident with Churchill, Theresa chained herself to a statue in the central lobby of the House of Commons in April of that year as a protest against a new law that penalised anyone found guilty of disorderly conduct in the Palace of Westminster while Parliament was in session. Theresa also gatecrashed a Foreign Office reception to celebrate King Edward VII's birthday in June 1909, borrowing a dress and taking a young Cambridge student as her husband. She made a speech and was ejected. Not only that, but on the 27th of June of that year, aged 21, she was arrested during a demonstration outside the Houses of Parliament that resulted in her throwing stones in Whitehall. She was sentenced to a month in Holloway, where she went on hunger strike. She was accused of biting and kicking a wardress there, found guilty of assault and sentenced to a further term of imprisonment. In August 1909, she demonstrated with Mary Lee on the roof of the Sun Hall in Liverpool. She was imprisoned in Walton Prison, but after going on hunger strike there, she was released a month later. Theresa Garnet was awarded the Hunger Strike Medal for Valour by the Women's Social and Political Union, or WSPU. After spending a year showing her determination and grit to the cause, 
Theresa became a WSPU organiser in Camberwell in 1910. However, she disagreed with the arson campaign and left the movement. During the First World War, Theresa worked as a sister at the Royal London Hospital. This included a spell on the Western Front in France. After the war, she joined the Suffragette Fellowship, founded in 1926, to bring former suffragettes together, and the Women's Freedom League was born. She was also a member of the Six Point Group, founded in 1921 by Margaret Haig to work for women's equality. Theresa Garnett started her life in Leeds in 1888. Her mother died in the West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum when Theresa was only a baby. She was brought up by her paternal grandparents and educated at a convent school. She later became a teacher, joining the WSPU after hearing Adela Pankhurst speak. Theresa died in 1966, practically penniless. Word on the street. And this week we go to Brooklyn Road in BS3. This road seems to be named for the borough of New York. This is because after the war, rubble from bombed Bedminster streets was shipped to New York to be used as hardcore for use in the small outcrop of land near East 25th Street that houses the architectural landmark Waterside Plaza as well as a small stretch of the FDR Drive, which was opened by the Bristol-born Hollywood star, Cary Grant. If you go down to the central pedestrian walkway in the centre of Bristol, outside the Bristol Hippodrome, you should find a plaque with details about this. And if you should be in the Bristol Basin in Manhattan, New York, you should find a plaque there too. On 12th of November 1909, a post office in Small Street was attacked and many windows broken, as stones were thrown by nurse Ellen Wines Pittman, aged 52, who lived at 15 Lee Road South in Clifton. Ellen was on remand for her involvement in the previous disputes, and she became another of the Hawfield Five in Hawfield Prison. Votes for women. Self-respecting women can remain patient no longer. We protest against tyranny and injustice by deeds, not words. A protest against inviting cabinet ministers to speak in Bristol while women are being forcibly fed in English prisons. Women send fossils to remind liberal ministers that they are fossiling as they are out of touch with present conditions and surroundings. Just a sample of the messages that were wrapped around stones and thrown through the toilet window of the Liberal Club in Bristol. That attack was done by Vera Wentworth, aged 22, from 4 Clements Lane in London, and she was sentenced to 14 days in prison. Vera's real name was Jessie Spinks, and she was a shop girl whose alter ego was a super suffragette after joining the WSPU. In November 1909, she was released from Hawfield Jail, where she'd been force-fed. Speaking to the Western Daily Press, she said, At four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, they brought a nasal tube. 
They forced me onto my bed and six wardresses held me down. I resisted all I could, but it was impossible to hold out against them. That was done twice a day until I came out. After it was discovered that Mary Sophia Allen and Jesse Laws broke windows at the Board of Trade office in Bristol, it became obvious that this was a carefully planned and coordinated attack, as the local headquarters of the Women's Social and Political Union in Queen's Road had young members ready with typewritten details, including what exactly was written in the notes on the stones, so that reporters had everything they needed to write up their side of the story. When Mary Sophia Allen broke the windows of the Board of Trade office in Bristol, it became her third offence, and she was sent to Hawfield Prison. Mary had heard Annie Kenny talk in 1909, and this spurred her into action. Just weeks later, she was in prison for militancy, enduring hunger strike and three rounds of forced feeding. While set to work in jail mending men's shirts, Mary took the opportunity to embroider the words Votes for Women into the shirt tails. A blue plaque at Her Majesty's Prison Bristol to suffragette Theresa Garnett was unveiled in October 1921. Bristol Civic Society facilitated the installation of the blue plaque on the old prison gate. It's believed to be the first blue plaque to be placed on a working prison. And as part of the Suffragette Education Project, prisoners have explored the stories of the suffragettes who were imprisoned at Hawfield and connected Theresa Garnett's story with present-day women's rights issues. They've looked at the history of mural art, and particularly street art in Bristol. Working in collaboration with feminist Bristol-based street artist Rosalita, they have created a mural on the wall leading to the prison wing in which the suffragettes were held. The Hawfield Five, who were Theresa Garnett, Nurse Ellen Wines-Pittman, Vera Wentworth, whose real name was Jessie Spinks, Maria Sophia Allen, and Jessie Laws. Although it can safely be said that 1909 was a very active year in Bristol for the suffragettes, it didn't end there. In November of 1913, the newspapers were filled with outrage at the domestic terrorism that had occurred. The Cactus House in Alexandra Park, Manchester, which contained a collection valued at £10,000, was partially destroyed by a bomb explosion. The plants were relatively unscathed, but there were fears that the exposure to air may have a bad effect on them. The second event was at the pavilion of the Bellingham Bowling and Lawn Tennis Club in Bellingham Road, Catford, which was completely destroyed by fire in the early hours. At the scene, some suffragette literature was discovered, and the last of the series happened on the outskirts of Bristol at the vacant mansion in Begbrook, Frenchay, which was destroyed by fire at about 7 in the morning on the 11th of November 1913. The fire was discovered by the head gardener, 
and within a few hours, the house was gutted. The fire caused £3,000 worth of damage, and a copy of the WSPU newspaper, The Suffragette, was discovered at the scene. There was also a note that said, Birrell is coming. Rachel Peace is still being tortured. If you recall, Augustine Birrell was a British Liberal Party politician who strongly disapproved of militancy and violence of the Women's Social and Political Union. Not surprising, because in November 1910, when walking alone from the House of Commons, he was attacked by a group of about 20 suffragettes, and although he didn't feel like there was any serious attempt to injure him, in trying to escape he twisted his knee and slipped the kneecap. Rachel Peace, mentioned in the note, whose real name was Florence Jane Short, was a British feminist and suffragette who was imprisoned and force-fed three times a day after being convicted for window-breaking at Bulldog and Hitchin post offices and again for breaking windows at an estate agent's in Pall Mall. She suffered terribly while serving her prison sentence and the constant force-feeding caused her to lose her reason, as she said. On her release from prison, she spent the rest of her life in and out of various lunatic asylums, paid for by Lady Constance Bulwer-Lytton, who herself was an influential British suffragette activist, writer, speaker and campaigner for prison reform, votes for women and birth control. She was also no stranger to the horrors of being force-fed, because when she was in prison, she used the name Jane Wharton to avoid receiving special treatment, because she was the daughter of a viceroy and the sister of a member of the House of Lords. While imprisoned in Holloway during March 1909, Lytton used a piece of broken enamel from a hairpin to carve the letter V into the flesh of her breast, placed exactly over the heart. V for votes for women. Lytton died on the 2nd of May 1923, and it's thought that her heart attack, stroke and early death at the age of only 54 have been attributed in part to the trauma of her hunger strike and force-feeding by the prison authorities. It's worth pointing out that during this period in history, whenever there was any form of deliberate destruction, the suffragettes were blamed. However, it was very easy to frame the militants, and there were causes of arson attacks where suffragette literature was deliberately planted by the guilty parties, who were usually after the insurance money. You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel. I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work that way. Even a quick look at the message, a sign of a quick reply, affects your concentration and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. Back in the day facts. 
And this week, my friends, we start off with the 23rd of April, 1516, when Duke Wilhelm IV of Bavaria endorses the German beer purity law and adds to its standards for the sale of beer in Bavaria, ensuring beer is only brewed from three ingredients, water, malt and hops. On the 24th of April, 1979, the US state of Georgia designates Ray Charles' rendition of Georgia on My Mind as the official state song. On the 25th of April, 1719, Daniel Defoe publishes Robinson Crusoe, regarded as the first English novel. On the 26th of April, 1982, Argentina surrenders to Great Britain in South Georgia Island, near the Falkland Islands. And on the 27th of April, 1940, the foundation stone for the new Palace of Westminster, London, was laid by Sarah Barry, wife of its architect, Charles Barry. It wasn't finished until 1870. The palace holds both the elected UK House of Commons and the appointed hereditary House of Lords, This includes such well-known monuments as the Clock Tower Big Ben and the larger Victoria Tower. It became a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1987. On the 28th of April, 1789, Fletcher Christian leads a mutiny on the HMS Bounty against its captain, William Bly, in the South Pacific. The captain and 18 loyalists were forced onto the Bounty's 23-foot-long cutter and given a sextant, four cutlasses and several days' water and food. Dangerously overloaded, the small boat was then cast adrift on the Pacific Ocean in what seemed a death sentence. Luckily, Bly was a skilled navigator and after an eventual journey of 3,618 nautical miles, He landed his men at Timor in the Dutch East Indies, now Indonesia. From there, they made their way back to England. According to historian Leonard F. Guttridge in his book Mutiny, A History of Naval Insurrection, Bly kept morale on the journey by telling stories of his experiences at sea and encouraging the men to sing and occasionally say prayers. Bly wrote to his wife, telling her what happened. Know then, my own dear Betsy, that I have lost the bounty. On the 28th of April, at daylight, in the morning Christian having the morning watch, he, with several others, came into my cabin while I was asleep and seized me, holding naked bayonets at my breast, tied my hands behind my back and threatened instant destruction if I uttered a word. I, however, called loudly for assistance, but the conspiracy was so well laid that the officers' cabin doors were guarded by sentinels, I was now dragged on deck in my shirt and closely guarded. I demanded of Christian the cause of such a violent act and severely degraded for his villainy, but he could only answer, not a word, sir, or you are dead. I dared him to the act and endeavoured to rally someone to a sense of their duty, but to no effect. The secrecy of this mutiny is beyond all conception, so that I cannot discover that any who are with me had the least knowledge of it. It is unbeknown to me why I must beguile such force. It was a circumstance I could not foresee. My conduct has been free of blame, and I showed everyone that, tired as I was, 
I defied every villain to hurt me. I know how shocked you will be at this affair, but I request of you, my dear Betsy, to think nothing of it. All is now past, and we will again look forward to future happiness. And now, my friends, it's time for me to leave you. But before I go, I'd like to thank those that really brought this story to life. And this week, we have Sam Roberts, Carrie Ball, Andrea Reed, Heidi Cable-Smith, Molly Jeffries, and Joe Wilson from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com, spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at Backtracker UK, with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>